Let's pray together. Father, we, we do believe that we once were poor and powerless, but in you, Lord, we became rich. And in you, you've given us a power far beyond ourselves. Lord, we do believe you've called us to something more significant with our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for worship. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, we pray that today that you would teach us from the truth of it. That we might wrap our lives around the truth of your word and live it out that you might be glorified by us. So, Father, we love you and we give ourselves to you this morning. Teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, um, you can turn with me to uh, Acts 1, 6 through 8, and then 2 Peter 3, 9. There's also, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you. You can take that as our gift to you, and it'll be on the screens also as we read it. Now, this morning as we as we kind of continue our series, last week we talked about that we are commissioned. This week is we are commissioned to saturate our world. And so I don't know about you, but, but life can be somewhat hectic and life can kind of cause you to live kind of in the moment. And a lot of times at the end of a week, we just had a lot of moments that we responded to and often don't know the full trajectory of where our life is headed. I don't know if that ever happens to you. I know we have a four-month-old in our house, um, which changes the game. So like for us, how this works is um, we go into Applebee, uh, Applebee's, not Applebee's, well, say it's Applebee's. We actually went into Red Robin, and I think we were discriminated against. <laughs> like everybody's going in to get tables, and we have a table for six. They're like, uh, yeah, that'll be an, like a four-hour wait. <laughs> I'm like, but I, I this little kid, we just want a hamburger. And they're like, no, four hours. And that, that wasn't exactly how they said it. It's like 45 minutes. And we're like, oh, wait. Um, our life can be, get different. So for me, so my wife goes out with one of the girls, and then I go do something else. And I've went from one and two to one and three. It's a game changer. And it kind of stresses me out because I'm not very good in those environments with lots of crying kids because it, it gives me a lot of anxiety sometimes, right? And we, we can just live, right, in this season of our life of just running from one thing to the next. And some of you are like, it doesn't apply to me at all. I don't have kids. And all of you that do have kids, you're like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but, but even for you, it's your friend has this going on and you kind of get wrapped into that. And then you have this thing do or this project do or, and you begin to run toward that. We just begin to move to all these things in our lives but I think the bigger picture of our life is that one day we will answer for our life. There is a clear end to our time. And if we never think about that end and live in the moments toward that end, we'll never be come and do the greater things that God has called us to. Because we tend, again, we tend to live our lives with immediacy and we kind of tend to live our lives in the gratifications of the moment rather than looking at this long journey of our lives with an end, knowing there's going to be a long-term reward for what I set my life towards. We must begin to see it or we'll chase all kinds of pointless things 
And at the end of our days, will lead to a level of disappointment. You know, for me, starting kind of worked like this. Um, so when I was a freshman in high school, my brother um, was, was a senior. And we had a, they had a, we, had, we both ran track and um, our track team was really good. Um, I was not. And uh, they were really good. And Steve ran in the state championship on the four by one. And so the four by one works like this. It's four guys. They run 100, um, 100 meters around the track. Each one takes 100 and that's 400. And so how it worked, they, they'd, raced, they, they'd done all the races and, and just so you know, then the story, they won. And uh, I was the reason they won. And so... So how it worked like this is I'm, on, I'm there and my brother comes up to me and he says, hey, will you hold my blocks? He started the race. And so how that works is he starts and so I'm just down on the track like this. And this is a pretty intense moment, right? He can't jump, he can't go early, he has to go right at the right time. And I was holding his blocks and this is probably why they won because he got such a good start because of my strength <laughs> in this position. And so I held the blocks and then the, the, the gun fired, and boom, he took off, and he took off, and it was a perfect handoff to Jacob, and it was a perfect handoff to Jay, and it was a perfect handoff to Travis, and they won. And I ran over to the middle, and we're all cheering. I'm like the four, I'm the fifth, right? Like, and we're, we're running, we're cheering, it's going crazy, and it was, they, they broke the state record, and they won the four by one. But it was really important how they started, because if Steve wouldn't have got off the blocks well, that's... Point two seconds. That's point. That's not breaking the record. That's like everything had to go well. And the big point, as we think about our lives, it's 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 this: how we start is really important because where we start affects how we will end. So where we start is really important because if we start and we're not going toward the right things, we're going to end up in the wrong places. So how we start is really important. Because where we start affects how we'll end. But here's the beauty of the Christian life. The beauty of the Christian life is, is I don't think many people in this room would say that they've started perfect and the trajectory of their life is exactly even today where you want it to be. Good news is this. God is all about restarts. God is all about second chances. God's all about letting you start over. Now, the baggage of the past, it may still weigh you down a bit, but the reality is, is God, from this day forward, can move you forward with him for his purposes to the end that he desires for you, not the end that you started out maybe initially in your own life for. So again, the beauty is that we can restart, we can begin again, and we can begin to get on track with God's great mission and his great mission is this. His great mission is that every man, woman, and child on this planet would have access to the gospel. I want to say that again, that his great mission is that every man, woman, and child would have access to the gospel. This is God's desired will for all humanity. And for us, are we a part of this? So let's be clear on something as we get started. And this is pretty important of who is Jesus? Hebrews 1.3 says this is who Jesus is. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God. He came to this earth to atone for our sins. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, meaning that when he speaks, we should listen. 
that when he calls us to something greater, we should turn our ear toward him. So let's this morning turn our ear toward him as we read Acts 1, 6 through 8, and 2 Peter 3, 9. Now, a little setup for this. Um, how this text is going to work is there's a, there's a consistency between these two texts. And the consistency between these two texts, I'm going to talk about in a moment, but how it works is this, is Peter. Peter was a pretty interesting disciple. Peter put his foot in his mouth frequently. That's why I greatly identify with Peter, right? So Peter will say, like, Jesus, never, you'll never have to die and be, be resurrected. I've, I've got your back. And Jesus will say to him, get behind me, Satan. And so this is Peter's moment. And then Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And what did he do? He denied him. And then Jesus rises from the dead and he has this encounter, one of his appearances. We see that Jesus says, oh, Peter, do you love me? He said, oh, yes, Lord. He says, feed my sheep. And three times they have this dialogue of Peter's love. And there's this restoration that happens in Peter's life. And then Jesus is going to say these words we're about to, about to hear him. And Peter's going to hear him. What Peter's going to do, we're going to see this, is in a moment, right? I mean, just a few days after he hears these words in Acts 1, 6 through 8, Peter's going to go out and preach, and he's going to preach a message where 3,000 people are saved. Now, I mean, he's like Billy Graham, right? I mean, he's going out. He's got it full. There's, there's thousands of people that come to faith. It's the foundations of the church. And then what we're going to see Peter do, and we'll read in 2 Peter, that wasn't just like a one-time occurrence. It wasn't a vision that God gave him at the beginning of his ministry. In 2 Peter, what we'll see is he's, he was on the same mission that he started with, and he continued to do it, and so is it for us. We don't need new ways of doing church. We don't need new ways of doing ministry. There's an ancient way that God's intended for every believer to get on his plan for his mission to see every man, woman, and child have access to the gospel in our world. It was what Peter was about, it was what the disciples were about. It's what the Bible is about. And hopefully, it's what we are about. So let's read Acts 1, 6 through 8. Reads, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, Now here's this moment, right? This is this uh, red letter moment right before Jesus ascends. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you'll turn over to 2 Peter 3, 9, here, words read, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, but that all should reach repentance. Read again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, just to be clear of that text, and it'll help understand the rest of the message, is when Jesus says any, that's all, any, right? That's everybody. And when he says all, when Peter says this, what he's saying, this is my way of saying it, every man, woman, and child. So if we think of Stark County of any and all, it's every man, woman, child. I think that's fairly 
inclusive of anyone that we could think of. So that's why I use that language. So in this, we see this consistency, how it started and how it continued. Acts was this final commissioning at the ascension. Second Peter, we see the outward work that happened from the commission. Now in this, what we see is there's a delay and both texts speak of this delay. They're asking the question, hey, when's Jesus gonna come back? Jesus, when are you gonna restore your kingdom? Hey, what's going on with this? And so there's a delay and the delay is, is that he wants people to hear the good news of what he has done. So there's, there's this delay of his return, that his kingdom is coming. It's this thing that is happening. Now there's a problem, right? And the problem that's clear in this is that people don't know the Father. People don't know Jesus. And so this problem that needs to be remedied is this message needs to go out. The good news needs to be proclaimed. And so there's a call in both texts for this for this message to be proclaimed. And then we see there's a call to this activity of or this work of the church. And this call is that all go, go and be my witnesses, receive my power, go into all Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what we see in the book of Acts is it's broken up like this. Jerusalem is kind of the first section. It goes then out to Judea and Samaria and then it goes out to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of an outline of the book of how the, the mission moves forward in that. But we also see in Second Peter, 3.9, that this mission of the church, it is being fulfilled by, by the gospel moving forward and it being proclaimed to all people. And so there's these, these kind of, this proof of consistency of the, of the mission of the church and the commissioning of what we ought to be about. So in these passages, there's kind of three big things that I think we can see to help us see our mission and what Jesus has called us to. So the first is that this is all about Jesus, just so that's really clear, this is all about Jesus. And they define it in this way. Both passages start out like this. Lord, when are you going to? The Lord, right? It says in, in 3.9, the Lord is not slow. And so Lord is how Jesus is referred to in the text. So Lord, meaning the one who exercises supernatural authority over mankind. Reality of this is Jesus is Lord, and it says in Philippians that every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether you or I call him Lord or not. He is who he is. It is, it is his identity. It is who he is. And so, so the idea of his lordship, he is the one who exercises supernatural authority over mankind. And then it says that in the Lord, right, that we see the Lord, the Lord, it is also defining him, right, Jesus the Christ, the Lord, as the one who has provided that which we need. And what, what we need, and I'll just share with you in a way that I can best express it, it's what I needed. When I was 21 years old, I realized that I needed, and I wouldn't have said it like this then, I needed substitutionary atonement. See, there was... There was something that I could not achieve in my own. There was not enough church I could go to, not enough stained glass buildings I could show up in, not enough grape juice and crackers I could drink. There was not enough religion to save me. What I needed was my sins atoned for. And what I heard was the gospel. And what the gospel proclaimed is that Jesus Christ died on the cross 
to take death, hell, and judgment away from Ryan Johnston and give him eternal life in Jesus Christ. I needed someone perfect to die on my behalf because I had sinned against God and I deserved death, hell, and judgment. Jesus took that from me, so I didn't experience death, hell, and judgment. And so when we say Lord, what it's saying is it's saying who I am in light of who he is. And who I am in light of who he is, I am nothing. And he is everything. And when they said Lord in this passage, what they were saying is, I recognize who he is, and I recognize who I am not. See, it's really important how we land on who Jesus is. Is he one that just kind of like, hey, Jesus, thanks for saving me. Now I'm going to go live however the heck I want to. I'm going to seek what I want. I'm going to find gratification and all kinds of other things beside you. And I'm probably even going to sin quite a bit. But, you know, it's not really bad sins. I'm just going to like gossip and I'm going to tell like small, small lies. And I'm going to do these other things. And, but I'm not really going to live my life in the direction of you being my Lord. I'm going to kind of do my thing. But, hey, thanks for letting me into heaven. Now, nobody does that, right? When they said, Lord, what they said, and we know it because they were willing to go to the end of themselves for him because they saw Jesus as he is and they saw themselves in light of that. And so how this works is who I am in light of who he is. And so who are we in light of who he is? There's some great truth in this. In light of who Jesus is, I am accepted I'm a child, I'm chosen, the scriptures say. I have access to God, I've been redeemed. I'm secure, I'm free, I'm hidden in him. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm significant, I've been appointed to the highest places with him, seated in the highest places with him. I am his minister in this world, working out his good purposes, not just in my calling, all of us, all believers are his ministers in this, that that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I'm accepted, I'm secure, and I am significant in Jesus. If that like excites you at all about who you are in Jesus, just say something to me this morning. Okay, and so, so in this, this is who I am, that, that this is all about Jesus. He is Lord, he is exalted, he's on high. But see, what this is all about really is affection. It works like this. So affections work like this. And this is the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. And this is how this plays out. So, so for me, imagine this. So I have a beautiful wife, her name's Debbie Johnston, and I come home from a long trip and I bring her flowers. And I bring her flowers and I hand them to her and she says, oh, that's so sweet. Why did you get those for me? And I respond to her, it's my duty as your husband to do these things for you, right? <laughs> right? I get thorned in the ear hole, right? Like that's how that, she's like, bam, right? I'm bleeding, right? Like I got scars on my face. And that's what Debbie Johnston would do. And so, so or the other side of it, I say to her, ah, oh, like, this is so small. I, I don't even know what to do, but I, just, I love you so much, and I just wanted these to in some way express how much I love you. Aw, right? Like, that's really sweet. And that's what I say. And so, and so, just so you know, that's the kind of guy I am. Catch up, all you other guys. And so, uh, <laughs> I'm awesome. And Debbie's shaking her head. And so, right, so, so affections matter. Affections matter, and, and how this works is we have this big problem called, called ourselves. I don't know if you ever get frustrated with yourself. Do you, do you, does yourself ever get in the way of becoming who you want to be? 
We have this major problem inside of ourselves with this. And Terrell Owens, he was a football player, and he was notoriously kind of egotistical. And this was one of his lines. I love it. He says, I love me some me, and I just can't stand myself anymore, right? This is great, great, like, I love me some me. And he'd say it all the time. I love me some me. And we laugh at that. And when we hear Terrell Owens say it, we're like, that dude is arrogant, right? But the reality is there's some of that in each and every one of us that we love me some me. And I mean, here's the thing. I've said that the greatest work that God has to do in my life is fixing me from my birth order. I'm the youngest in a family, right? Like I'm, I'm mama's baby boy, right? Like everybody left the house and I was alone. I was like the center of attention. Any, any babies in the room, you're like, that's right. We are the best, right? And we are. Our parents loved us more than all of you who aren't the babies. And so like that's, that's how that works. And like, it's hard, to, it's hard to hear truth on a Sunday morning, I know. So, but, but there's a piece of all of us that's just like, look at me, look at me, notice me, me, right? And, and we do this, we do this a lot in our life because our affections are really for ourselves much more than they are for the Lord. And what, what the Lord is doing in salvation, he's saying, I want to free you from the thing that traps you most, and that is you. Because I want to give you an affection that is bigger than the affection you have for yourself. And so how he does this is he, he shows us this great work that he has done on our behalf. And then we begin to say things in the Christian life like this. Instead of, right, I love me some me, we say things like, and I love me some Jesus, and I just can't get over it. Like, I, I love me some Jesus, and I, I just can't get over what he's done for me. When I'm, when I'm in the hallways and in, in the living room and in my workplaces, I'm, I'm walking around, and I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus some, and I'm, I'm thinking about what he's done, and I'm saying, I love me some Jesus, and I just can't get over what he's done for me. When, when we're with our families and when we're with our in-laws and when we're in all these different spots of our life, we're just saying, I love me some Jesus and I just can't get over what he's done for me. And th- this whole Christian life, when we say things like, Lord, what we're saying is, I love me some Jesus. I just can't get over what he's done and it's gonna cause me to live in a different way in the day-to-day of my life. Frees us from ourselves and moves us in this place where we see him rightly as Lord and we bow ourselves rightly down underneath his mighty hand. Paul will say it like this I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh. I will live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying is, I love me some Jesus and I just can't get over it. He wrecked my life gloriously wrecked my life. And I'm all about him, living my life for him and his good purposes. So clearly, this is all about Jesus, but it's also kind of following with here. He is doing, so this is all about Jesus, and he is doing a great work. He is doing a great work in our world. And so what we see in the text as it's unpacked is there's this clear end that is coming. Now, I remind us of this frequently, but I will just do it one more time. There's a clear expiration date on our lives. No one can run from it. No one can escape it. There is an expiration point on our lives. But not only is there an expiration point on our lives, there's an expiration point on this world. And every person who has ever lived, whoever will live, will stand before him one day. And in that, right, we 
called that eternal judgment. That I will stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, one day, and I will give an account, and I will either be hidden in him or I will stand on my own merit. I will either be hidden in him or I will stand on my own merit. And I don't know where you are today, but if you are standing on your own merit, there is no one in this room nor anyone I've ever met that can stand on their own merit before God and be okay. Because only hidden in Jesus, on that day of judgment, will we be in right standing with God. Because he took the blow, took the penalty that was due us for our sin. So there's this clear ending that's coming. But also we see in the text is there's a clear patience of God. God didn't say, yep, Jesus, I'm, I'm, Jesus didn't say to him in Acts 1, yep, we're done, no more toil, no more struggle, building the kingdom right now. He said, stop talking about the end. There was a guy that was just, I don't know if you're, last night Jesus was supposed to return. I don't know if you knew that. The guy prophesied it. He's getting stoned today. And, uh, and so, this Old Testament, uh, just kidding. And so, um, but it does say that in the Old Testament. And so, 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 he says, it's not, like, stop trying to calculate this, you know. Seven times seven plus six plus 28 and Revelation says this date. Like, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, hey, Stop talking about that and get busy doing my work because there's a lot at stake. There's a, there's a lot at stake. See, the patience of God has come, right? It says his kindness leads us to repentance. This is kind of him to be patient. It was kind of him to be patient with me. It's kind of him to be patient with this world. Why? Because he is, and we're going to get here in a second, he's desiring that, that all would come. All would come to repentance. All would come. And so his plan to reach them Right? It's you and I. His plan A is his church. And his church boiled down to its most finite piece. Is each of us individually and collectively together we make the church. And so him boiling this down to the most finest places, you and I have been commissioned right, to, to, to bring the hope of salvation, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, what I'd say in this is, said that he is doing a great work. And I would just argue with you that I don't think there's any other great works in the whole world. There's only one. And the one we're talking about this morning is the only great work. There's a lot of good works. And there's a lot of good works that all of us in this room, many of us, are engaged in. I don't know, raise your hand if you make money, right? It's not a bad thing to earn income. It's not a bad thing to have money. The Bible really never says that money is like evil, evil, evil. Now, there's evil people. Our hearts can be corrupted by it, but money isn't necessarily inherently an evil thing. It's good to make money, right? It is good to feed the poor. It is good to do all kinds of things in his name. It is good in the day-to-day to be a good mom and to be a good dad. It is good to be a good son or a good daughter. It is, it is good to do all of these things, these good works in our life, in our world. It's good to stand on the right side of politics. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good work to stand for children to have the right to life. It's a good thing to make good stances. 
there's a, greater, there's a greater work. And while we do these good works, we've been called, all of us, to the greater work. And that greater work, the greatest work, is gospel work. When it all settles, it's all that matters. You see, because this is for real. It's no joke. It's heaven and it's hell. It's condemnation and it's life everlasting. It's life and death, heaven and hell, for real, no joke. And he is doing a great work to save people from an imminent time that is coming for everyone. And if you're on the right side of that today and you've entrusted your life to Jesus, praise him for that. It is wonderful and it is glorious what he has done. And if he's genuinely become our Lord, then how can we not find in the freedom we have in him to move forward with our lives and say, I want others to hear the great news of what has happened in my life that they might be set free. Now, don't hear me saying that all these other good works that I said are, are bad in any sense. They are good works. My wife and I have been involved in all kinds of good works in our life and we will continue to be. But I never want the good works to trump the greatest work in, my, in, in the world. And the greatest work in the world is bringing the gospel of peace so that men and women might be reconciled to God. So we see that this is all about Jesus. We see that he is doing a great work. But here's some good news. We have been invited into it. Again, we have been invited into this great work. So what that means is there's a task at hand. God has a desired will for all people And his plan to reach them is you and I. That's why he'll commission them. And when he commissions them, he'll say it like this. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And so what he's saying is, and I don't know if you've ever felt like this. You ever feel like, man, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have what it takes. Anybody ever felt that way? He's saying, that's cool. It's good. You're actually at a really good spot because you can't. But I'll give you my power and you can you will receive power. And so when you engage in this, when you go after this work, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to feel the heavy hand of God begin to move upon your life. Paul will pray it like this. Oh, that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and that you would know the power directed toward those who believe. So what that means, Manny, is this. There's power directed toward Manny. Not his not, not, not like just this kind of big, ambiguous church thing, meaning every person who believes has power directed toward them to accomplish this in a supernatural way. And so for us, what that means is if you don't feel like you have what it takes, well done, you've received the first most important truth. But do you recognize that there's one above us who has the power and who will direct that power toward us? So I have all I need in Christ Jesus to do all that he has asked me to do. And then he says, when you receive that power, what will happen? You will be my witnesses. You will go out and you will proclaim the truth of my word, the truth of the good news of, of what I've done in the past and throughout the entirety of the word, but also what, you, what I have done in your life personally. One of the greatest tools we have of proclaiming this good news is the the story of what God has done in our very own lives. So we will receive power. We will be witnesses. So I have all I need 
to do all that he has asked of me through his power and his strength. See, in this, we've been invited into this thing where we are, we, we get to be a part of a great cloud of witnesses from all the time that have been a part of this great mission. We've been invited into it. And the magnitude of this is, I don't know if you know this, but you, we who engage in this mission, we sit alongside of smugglers, prisoners, and rebels. And you're like, Brian, that's not great news. Like, what does that mean? We're going to be with people that smuggled Bibles into Russia during the Cold War because they wanted people to have the truth of God's word that every man, woman, and child in Russia might know Jesus. And they smuggled in some of them to their, to their very own death. Prisoners, almost all the men that we read about in scriptures were imprisoned for the sake of this great work in the world. And even to this very day, people are imprisoned and killed all over our world. I was just with a pastor a few weeks ago and he talked about being in India and the guy was preaching up in front of a group of pastors in India and he's preaching, he's on fire and then all of a sudden everybody in the room stands up and so he stands up in the back of the room and he leans over to his interpreter and he's like, what's going on? Why is everybody standing up? And he goes, because he just asked every person in the room to stand if they were willing to die for Jesus. And he goes, I don't know how many of them in that room did, but I know some of them did. We stand with smugglers, Prisoners and rebels. Rebels, people who stood up against injustice, who went against the system, who proclaimed good news when it wasn't okay to proclaim good news, when governments weren't for it, when people weren't for it, they rebelled against the system because they believed that this was worth their very own life to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done so that every man, woman, and child would have access. We can't make anyone believe what we can do is provide them opportunity to respond to the greatest news in the whole world that Jesus Christ came, bled, and died, and rose, and defeated, and sits on high, and salvation is now possible for all peoples to him if they'll repent and turn in faith. This is good news, and it's a great work, and we sit beside a cloud of witnesses in all time and eternity that have engaged in this great mission. So for us, the question really is this, have you ever said to God, I'm in? I didn't ask if you ever gave your life to Jesus. I asked if you ever said, I'm in. I'm in to your mission. I'm in. I, I, I want my life to be about what you're about. I want my mission to be your mission. I want to come underneath your heavy hand. I want to hear your commissioning over my life. I hear it today. I want to be sent into it that I believe this is for me. I'm in, I want it, I can't contain it. I've got to talk about that. And so that might be something as simple as saying, like inviting a friend to come here on a Sunday morning and hear about Jesus. It might be inviting someone to your kitchen table just to develop a relationship with them. It might be investing in someone here, inviting someone to this, but in my life saying, I'm gonna do something because I'm not going to sit silent anymore in my life. And I'll just tell you this really quick. We can complain about all kinds of things. We can complain about, about how churches do this or do that, how the times and days are changing. But if we keep complaining about that and we don't start engaging in this, it will be the end of evangelicalism in America. Because his church has been commissioned to saturate, and I'll say us, to saturate Stark County with the good news of the gospel. And if everyone that is attended here on Sunday, this Sunday morning alone would engage in that, that mission would happen 
very, very rapidly, and it could be fulfilled. But it takes each individual coming to a place of saying, I am in. I want to be about what you are about because, see, we have been commissioned to make disciples, to go and take risks, to identify ourselves with Jesus through baptism, to teach people to learn, love, and live like Jesus. We've been commissioned to saturate our world that, every, that, that God would use us collectively and individually, that, that every man, woman, and child could have access to the gospel through our witness and through our lives. So we, we have good news we're not alone. And that's really what we're going to talk about next week. You see, we have been commissioned to saturate our world. And next week, we're going to talk about with others. We say it every week when we leave here, that would you link us arm in arm. Doing this mission is nearly impossible alone. And we see no instance of people having to do it alone in Scripture. And you don't have to either. We desperately need each other to, to finish this. And so... So for us this morning, we must recognize that we were built for this. God made us in his image to live for his ways, and today can be the new start to get on the pathway that God has for every one of us, and that is to be his ambassadors, to be his missionaries, to be his servants, to be the proclaimers of good news in the everyday of our lives, trusting in his power to accomplish this so that we might be his witnesses in the day-to-day of our life. So today, it doesn't matter where you find yourself, if you don't know Jesus, today that could be the day where you say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you to follow you. If you do know Jesus and you've recognized that my life has somehow become diverted down a path that does not end where he wants it to end, I can say, Lord, today I want to start new and I want my life to be about this. And I'm just going to say to you, I am in for what you have called me to do in my life. In business world, there's these three things that, that's kind of been a thing that they've uh, talked about in like leadership over the last few years. And the, the three things are this, that, that people desire autonomy, right? We want, we want autonomy. We don't want everybody to boss us around Right? We, we, want, we want to have kind of our own stake in the game. And so in business, you got to let people have their own stake in the game. Mastery, everybody wants to be good at something. And so you got to let people kind of run their track and become good at something so they can have real stake in the game and value. And, and you got to let people have bi- purpose because if you don't let people have purpose, then they're just going to feel like they're just a cog in a machine. And so they want to be a part of something more and bigger. Well, I think the reality of us, and when we talk about this mission, does these things really apply to us? I think all of us actually do really want autonomy. We want to call the shots. We want to be individuals kind of running after what we want, but what this text calls us to is, or we just want to direct our own lives. What this text calls us to is to give up our own lives and allow our life to be directed by the only one that has the honor and the ability and the standing to direct us. We probably in this room, we want to be the best we can at what we do. But the reality is in this, we recognize that I'm not the best and I can't be the best without him. And if there's anything good that comes out of me, it is from him. So mastery comes in submission to him, learning from him, allowing him to teach me and grow me every day of my life. And the master can give me mastery in what he wants to do, but it's all for him and all for his glory. 
and purpose. I'm just telling you, I, don't, I can't find it. Come email me or talk to me if you have. There's no greater purpose in all the world but living for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who I will one day stand before and I will answer for my life and I hope every day of my life when I wake up in the morning, I bow down to him and I live my life bowed down. That way on that last day, when I see him face to face, he doesn't have to break my knees to bow down, but it'll just be another day doing the same thing I've done every day of my life. And that's bowing my knee to Jesus, saying, you're Lord, I'm not. You've given me the greatest purpose I could ever have. And for all eternity, I want to live for your purposes also. So today, our response, I hope, is for each of us just simply to say to him, I'm in. I want to live for your greater purposes that every man, woman, and child in our world would have access to the gospel. Lord, would you use me to that end? I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you know the Lord. If you don't, simply just call you to this. Today, he can give you a new beginning. That new beginning can come by you saying, Jesus, I have sinned against you, and I recognize that I deserve punishment but I also recognize that you took my punishment on the cross and I place my faith in you today. If you repent of your sins, place your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. For those who have believed, if you've never said to the Lord, I'm in, today, when we sing this last song, these altars are open, you can do it right where you sit. You can just say, I'm in. Maybe you've said it in the past and now your life kind of got misdirected Maybe today you just recommit to him. I'm in. There's no greater work that we can do in the world but engage him in his great work of seeing every man, woman, and child have access to the great news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing, and we're going to sing a song called Trust It All. And Trust It All has these lines. My dreams and all my plans, I trust it all. I trust it all you, my life. Might we sing it with authenticity, maybe even just saying, by, by, by singing the lyrics, Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Father, we believe. We believe, Jesus, that you have called us to something far greater than we could ever think or imagine. We also recognize that we are incapable of achieving what you've asked of us. But with you, Lord, we are capable with your power and with your strength, that we, we can be your witnesses. So would you do a work in each of us that we authentically say to you that we are in for your greater purposes. Lord, for each of us, corporately, that you would allow us to do such a work together you would be highly exalted by us. Lord, for the person who's never turned today, Lord, would you give them the ability to see you clearly, repent of their sins, turn in faith, experience new life in you. Lord, for us collectively, individually, Lord, would you help us simply just to say to you, we're in. Help us to respond now as we sing. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, let's sing together.